Time for the uh, sermon this morning, the main sermon. And I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 15. And we'll read from verses 10 to 20 this morning. And it's a part of the same passage that uh, Brother Paul uh, read. And I'd like to uh, hopefully explain what this uh, passage actually means uh, as we continue our look at the parables of Jesus. And this is part of those parables and fits very nicely in with the rest of them or the ones we've seen so far. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 to 20. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word, and we pray that our hearts would be open to its truth. Father, open up our eyes that we might receive and see that light that comes from you, and I pray that we would learn to live by it and grow through it. We thank you for the leading of your Holy Spirit and the way he teaches us. And we just pray, Lord, that our lives would be honouring in every possible way to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was growing up, um, being raised in a, a Catholic family. Um, I, I learned uh, and I was taught in primary school uh, the various rules and regulations that the Roman Catholic Church expected of the people who went to church and people who were members of that church. And since communion time in a Catholic uh, Mass is the most important part of that Mass, in fact, everything in, in, a, in a Catholic Mass gears up for that one thing, um, everything has to be the, done the right, uh, the right way in order to receive it. One of the rules that was commonly expressed and repeated was that you were not allowed to eat anything for at least one hour before you had communion <clears throat> because you were literally receiving Jesus. I was never sure the reason why of this, but the result was that you had to have an empty stomach when you were about to ingest Jesus. Because the belief in Catholicism is that that wafer, that piece of bread that you have, is actually Jesus. It, that, that bread turns into Jesus. So you're literally eating Jesus. So the idea is that you have an empty stomach and you're not mixing him up with any other food, I suppose. I'm not sure what the exact reason was. But not to obey this, to eat um, maybe 10 minutes before was actually seen as a sin. And there were a number of other uh, rules and regulations that you were supposed to follow, including, you know, going to confession to a priest 
um, what prayers had to be said at what particular times. Um, and, and I know a, a very common one was, for example, not eating meat on Fridays, especially Good Friday, where you were only allowed to eat fish. And I'm not sure where that came from either. Um, the rules seem to change over time. And I know that, and having spoken to some of my uh, uh, parents and grandparents, um, that the rules were even stricter going back 40, 50 or 60 years ago than they were when they are now. Um, but today there's still plenty of rules that, that need to be followed. And if you don't follow them, you're, you're, you're essentially said that you've actually sinned as a result of, uh, of breaking those particular rules. Um, to this day, I am sure, as I was, there are plenty of Catholics who do certain things, who obey rules without really knowing where they come from or why they need to be followed at all. What, what, what they do, in essence, is to, to trust what the Catholic Church says, the priests and the, the bishops and the cardinals and the Pope, and, and, and they trust what they're told um, and they obey them. Um, the result of breaking one of these rules, um, none of which essentially was ever spoken by Jesus, nor the apostles, nor was ever recorded in the Bible, was the belief that you had defiled yourself. In other words, you committed a sin that made you unclean or unholy. Um, what's God's opinion about this? Well, we're going to look at that today. In a similar way, uh, many Jews today have a great deal of rules and regulations about what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And, and I suppose if you, if you look at them in, in more detail, um, we may find some of those very strange indeed. For example, on, on Saturdays, they're not supposed to even be turning off and on switches. They're not supposed to walk more than X amount of paces on a Saturday. Uh, and they've worked at all these fine and intricate rules and details to try to match um, what, what they, the Bible is telling them. Um, but essentially, we're back to the same thing, in that people are trusting other people's opinions because it's the rabbis who decided to make these rules. And they're not actually recorded in the Bible. Um, in the passage we've just read, this subject is addressed by Jesus. When the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were the leaders of their day, accused Jesus' disciples of becoming defiled. And what, why did they accuse them of becoming defiled? Well, they said, well, they had eaten bread without washing their hands first. So if you look at verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, I want you to take notice here very carefully that they were accusing the, um, accusing the disciples of breaking the traditions of the elders. The elders are the people who came before, the rabbis, the teachers, the rulers, okay? The Pharisees and scribes, um, were meant to be the religious leaders of their day. They had knowledge of the Bible, probably more than anyone else. They had access to the scriptures because not everyone had access to the <coughs> scriptures <coughs> and were the ones who determined what the Bible taught and the rules that people were to follow. And they were, they were accusing Jesus' disciples of breaking their traditions and the traditions that came down from their elders, the ones that they respected. Traditions that were maybe very, very old and carried very a great deal of authority behind them. 
The Gospel of Mark has a parallel passage to this particular passage and adds some extra information, which is uh, quite interesting, about some of their many rules and regulations. So if you turn back with me, or turn forward with me, sorry, to Mark chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, Mark gives us a little bit of extra information about what they used to do and what rules and regulations they used to follow. So Mark chapter 7, verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, which is often, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Um, you might think to yourself, well, that's probably not a bad idea to wash your hands before you eat. True. In, in, in many cases, the idea is actually not a bad one to wash your hands where you can. But keep in mind that they didn't have the uh, uh, taps in every house as we, uh, as we have taps. Uh, it's not as if you could just go to the sink and wash your hands. Um, life was a bit different in those days. But the point of these, uh, of these rules and regulations was not hygiene. They were religious rules. So what they actually believed was if you didn't wash your hands before you ate bread, you were committing a sin. You were becoming defiled. It's not just a matter, it wasn't just a matter of keeping clean and maybe not ingesting some germs. People rarely question religious rules and regulations that have existed for hundreds of years. They just learn to accept them and not question them. But how did Jesus view these traditions and these rules and regulations? Well, we're going, to, we're going to see that now by the way he responds. What does Jesus think about all these rules, about doing something and, 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 uh, and breaking certain rules and traditions and, and considering those things to be a sin? Well, look at the way he responds. Go back to, or let's look at Mark chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. He says, for laying aside, Mark chapter 7, verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things, such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now that's pretty strong words. He said essentially that you reject the commandment of God to keep your own traditions. In other words, your traditions contradict the commandments of God. In other words, you place your own traditions and your own rules and regulations above God's rules and regulations. And Matthew uh, states in a similar type of way, if we go back to Matthew chapter 15, verse 3, it says there, And he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So Jesus didn't hold back here. He immediately reversed the argument against them by saying that they held on to traditions which actually broke God's commandments. He immediately forced them into a position where they had to evaluate their tradition by God's word. And he was telling them that their tradition didn't match up to God's word. And this is, I suppose, every tradition 
how every tradition and every custom really should be evaluated by every one of us. You see, we all hold traditions, we all have customs, we all have things that we've done that have been handed down to us, which, which if you probably think about it, we haven't thought about very often. We just do them because our parents did them, their, their parents did them, their parents did them, and no one really ever questioned why. But we should. We should question them. And the first thing we should question is whether they actually match up with what the Bible actually says. Whether these traditions and whether these customs actually enforce God's commands and, and, and will reinforce God's commands or whether they contradict them. So it shouldn't matter where we get our traditions from because every culture has traditions, every culture has customs. The question is, do they these customs and do these things that we do actually match up with what the Bible says? Which are more important to you? Are your traditions more important or are God's commands more important? And that's the question that Jesus was really posing to these scribes and Pharisees who were out to criticize. What would you do if what you had done for many years and maybe what your own family had done for many, many years and had taken for granted was actually contrary to God's law? Would you stop doing it? What's your attachment to your family's traditions, your family's history, your culture, or your religion compared to God's truth? Now that's the question I want us to answer for ourselves today. What's more important to me? My customs, my traditions, or God's truth. Now you might say, oh, I believe in God's truth. The question that we then need to need to ask ourselves or the things we need to examine is, well, if I actually say that God's truth is more important to me than traditions and customs, then do my actions and do my choices actually reflect that? There are many, many people in this world who hold many types of traditions or customs. In fact, every person in the world has traditions and customs. Things that they've, that they've inherited, things that they do without even thinking about, things that, that sometimes they're really good, but sometimes they're not that good. And a lot of people have inherited traditions they know very little about. They've been brought up with them. They've been raised with them. Um, and maybe some person that they've respected or some religious institution that they've known, that they look up to, that they've been taught by, has given those traditions and customs to them. There are many churches in the world, for instance, that baptise babies. Many. It's seen by many as an important thing to do. Yet most people who baptise their own children don't even know why. But let's say that they learned that the Bible never taught about baptizing children, but that they were supposed to allow that child to grow 
and to allow that child to make their own choice about being baptized only when they had come to believe in Jesus for themselves, I wonder what they would do. Would they not, <coughs> not baptize their children? I wonder whether they would endure the criticism of their families and friends. Their decision at that point would really show whether they were more interested in following the commandments of men rather than following the commandments of God or the other way around. This is why Jesus says, you shall know them by their fruits. See, the fruits are the choices that people make either to follow their own will or the will of man or to follow the will of God. The fruit are people's choices either to choose their traditions and customs over the truth of God or to align themselves and say, you know what? God's word is more important than my traditions. And I will stand on those, on those truths and follow those truths rather than follow the, my traditions because God is more important than man. But the truth of the matter is that many people and most people would rather just stay ignorant of what the Bible actually teaches. And you know why? And you might think, why would people want to stay ignorant? Well, people want to stay ignorant because it means they don't have to make a choice. You see, if I stay ignorant, or if I learn something new, if I learn that the Bible actually teaches I'm supposed to be doing this instead of what I've been doing this whole time, with, along with my friend, family and friends, then I'm forced to make a decision and a choice that may be very difficult to make. So many people in this world choose not to know they would rather stay ignorant of what the Bible teaches. They would rather not know. And they refuse to listen because by listening and learning, they're going to have to make a decision about the truth. And by making a decision about what they do with that truth, then their heart is revealed. Their heart of whether they follow God or whether they follow man. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 19, for a moment. And this is what the Gospel of John actually expresses and shows us is the problem with man. That man loves to do what, they, what they're used to doing. They love their own sin. They love to follow people who they can see. And following God is a more difficult prospect because people inevitably not want you to follow God. They'll put pressure on you. They want you to do it their way. John chapter 3 verse 19 says, and this is the condemnation, the condemnation, this is the condemnation from God that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They would rather stay in the dark then learn the light and accept the light. And verse 20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They don't want it. They don't want to come into the light and it be exposed the things they're doing are not right. And it says, Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth 
cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought, that they are, they are made in God. And this is the problem with our fallen nature, that man's fallen nature does not want to conform itself to the truth. And if you're used to doing something a certain way, your habits, your traditions, your customs become a part of who you are. And you don't want to give them up. Because for you, they are your identity, especially if those traditions and customs came from your family. And most people, when they have a choice to make between their family and their traditions, or God and his laws, they will choose their family because they don't want to deny their family. But that reveals what they really believe about God and who they really worship. The light in the passage that we just read from John is the truth that's given to us by Jesus and recorded in the pages of the Bible. If you want to know the truth and you want to have that light, then you will find that light and those truths contained in the words of Scripture. You can then make a choice about what you do with that truth. And what choice you make will reveal what heart you have. So Jesus then gave them an example of this man-made tradition in his day that they were following which contradicted the command of God. Let me read that to you. It's Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For God commanded, saying, Honour thy father and mother. And he that, he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now, if this passage seems a bit hard to understand, it's probably because it assumes an understanding of that religious system and that relig those religious rules from those days and the fact that when parents got old, they became the responsibility of their children. In other words, when your parents got old and couldn't look after themselves and couldn't go digging in a field or, or doing whatever, their children had to look after them. They became their responsibility. That's what it meant to honour your parents. You see, there was no pension in those days. There, were no, there was no NDIS as we have here in Australia. There was no support system. When your parents got old, you as their children became responsible for them. So let me lay that foundation, first of all, down for you. So the tradition, so Jesus was critical of the tradition that, that, that the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees were promoting. And it was simply this, that a man who had, for example, old parents, and he, they needed to be looked after and fed and, and whatever, he could, if he was part of a religious school or part of the temple, what he could do or a, a religious school that he was learning in, he could actually give the money, a donation. The same money that may have been needed to look after his parents. 
And so what they did is they said, you know what? Your responsibility is to look after your parents, okay, and feed them and look after their needs. But you know what? There's a loophole. If the religious school that you're learning in, because it's something for God, or if you want to give money to the temple to promote the services over there, you can give that money and say to your parents, sorry, this money is for God. So I can't use it for you. It's a gift. It's been earmarked for God, so I can't give it to you anymore. So by a religious act, they bypass their need to look after their own parents. Jesus called this loophole a sin because it broke the commandment of God. And in God's eyes, looking after your parents when they were old and frail was the same thing as honouring your parents. Why would a man, you wonder, give a gift to a temple or a religious school and rob his own parents of what they needed? You know something? As with many religious institutions and organisations and with normal organisations and businesses in this world, people seek to climb up the ranks showing how loyal they are to that organisation and what they're willing to sacrifice in order to be promoted within it. The Pharisees and the scribes had their schools and had their followers and had people who were adoring them and, and they operated no different to a corporate business. They saw your giving as evidence of your loyalty, even if it was at the cost of your own parents. These people, were not only religious leaders, but were in most cases politicians as well. And they loved the limelight. They loved the respect of, of being in those positions. You know, and Jesus often accused them and rebuked them for loving the best seats in the house when they came to meetings and banquets, of parading their good works around. Whenever they did something, they had to let everyone know about it. Whenever they sacrificed something, they, they had to make sure everyone understood what suffering they were going through and what sacrifice they made for God. And Jesus saw them all as hypocrites. So he then rebuked these religious leaders for creating fake rules, loopholes, which broke God's commandments so they could have their own commandments. And then Jesus called everyone who was listening to him to beware of them and to look out for people who made false religious commandments that broke God's commandments. And he started to explain to them that a person doesn't get defiled by eating without wash, washed hands, but that they get defiled another way. Look at Matthew 15, 7. He says, ye hypocrites. Jesus never minced these words with people who, who taught false doctrine. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And once again, this is the very point that I want us to understand, that we 
would be wise enough to distinguish between the commandments of God and the commandments of men, and not to stay in the dark, but to look and search through God's word to understand which ones are God's commandments that we might do them, rather than worrying about following man's commands. I want you to take note of what Jesus accuses them of. He says that their lips spoke one thing, but they were really hypocrites within their hearts. He then says that their worship was fake because they taught false doctrine. Talk about a slap in the face. While they were looking for things to point the finger at Jesus' disciples at, in other words, they may have done 99 things right and then said, look, your guys didn't wash their hands before they ate their bread. Therefore, they've sinned, which means they're not following the right rules. So while they were accusing Jesus' disciples of defiling themselves by eating with unwashed hands, Jesus now reversed the table and accused them of breaking God's commandments by teaching false doctrines. Jesus said, it's not what's going into the mouth that worries me. It's what's coming out of your mouth that worries me. And now he warned everyone about their false teaching. In verse 10, he said, and he called the multitude and said unto them, hear and understand. And this is what I pray that we hear and understand today. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Now Jesus completely refuted their religious traditions by teaching the true reason people become defiled. And it's not what they ingest that goes into their stomach, Jesus says. That's not the problem here. The problem is not what you ate, but what you spoke. Because what you spoke, and in this case, the false teaching that they were giving, was showing what was coming out of your heart. And the Pharisees and the scribes knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. And they weren't pretty, they weren't happy about it at all. So after Jesus warned everyone about this false teaching that, you know, if you eat something, you become a sinner. He said, no, that's not it. It's what's coming out of the heart. That's the problem here. Look what, look what his disciples says in verse 12. It says, then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Yeah, too right, they were offended because he told them off in front of everyone. In verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You know, it's exactly what we've been learning in the parables in previous weeks, that there are plants that God has planted and there are plants the devil has planted and they're all mixed up sometimes. And Jesus says, don't root them up yet, but eventually they'll be rooted up and they'll be judged for what they've done. And if there are people that choose to follow them, they'll be blind leaders leading blind people because neither of them had the light and they'll both end up falling in a ditch. And the ditch becomes a picture of hell. The ditch is a hole they fall into that they will never escape from. 
when Jesus was teaching his disciples in no uncertain terms not to worry about them. Don't get caught up with them. Don't worry that they get offended because God would take care of them in the end. And if people chose to follow them, then unfortunately they're both going to fall into the ditch. Have any, has anything changed today? The answer is no. Nothing's changed today. There are many false teachers in the world. There are many who parade themselves as religious leaders or, or, or um, teachers or prophets, whoever else it may be. Many who pervert the truth of the word of God, promoting themselves, finding loopholes in the word of God, putting God's word to the side and using their own traditions instead. And there may be those who even threaten you if you don't follow their way. Or maybe when you find out what the Bible really teaches about the truth, and they may have many, many followers, but I want, you to, I want to remind you that Jesus and his followers were very few in number. And they were completely outnumbered. So never let or allow number or numbers to determine whether something is right or whether something is wrong. You see, Jesus taught very clearly that the path that leads to life is narrow. And so is the gate to enter into that path. And there are very few people that find it. Very few people that are willing to enter a narrow gate. But there are plenty of people that enter the broad way with the wide gate and unfortunately, that is still the case today. There are many false teachers in our world, but our job is not to go chasing them down or worrying about what they're going to say about us. No, don't waste your time on them. They are still blind guides. And in the end, there will still be plenty of people that choose to follow them rather than follow the truth. But in the end, their God's responsibility. Our job as Christians is not to go chasing down false teachers and argue against them. That'll be consuming all of our time and would be wasting our time. But our job is to one, not be afraid of them and to encourage people to follow the truth, to warn people if they are in going in the wrong direction but our job is to simply live and promote the truth of the word of God and support those who have chosen to live that word in sincerity. Because in all sincerity, they're probably going to be receiving persecution because of it. Of course, part of that promotion of the truth is to warn people as Jesus warned these people. But in the end, it was their decision which way they went. And we find in this particular place, even the disciples were still confused about what Jesus was teaching here. And in verse 15, it says, Then answered Peter and said unto them, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Like, Peter, come on. Don't you know by now what this truth actually is. So Jesus then went on to explain what really defiles a person. And it wasn't eating with, with unwashed hands or anything that a person might consume. 
but what came from the heart. Look at verse 17 to 20. It says, Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought? Then go to the bathroom. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, that's lying, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. It's the heart that makes a difference to God. It's the heart that God looks into, not your belly, not your stomach. All the rules and regulations that people create and follow don't make a person more holy. Paul warned the Colossians about wasting their time criticizing or worrying about what rules and regulations and traditions they were supposed to follow. They were criticizing each other because one person followed this tradition, one person followed that tradition, one person kept this particular date as a, as a special day, another one kept that date as a, as a special day, one person ate this, one person did not eat this, one person did. And Paul said, what are you wasting your time for? Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And in Colossians 2.20, he says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, which is religious rules and regulations and, and things that people make up, thinking that the more rules and regulations they have, the more holy they're going to be. He says, if you're dead with Christ and dead from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, to rules and regulations? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. You see, like then, there are plenty of rules and regulations people make up today. There are plenty of things that people have included that they add on top of the word of God which doesn't teach those things, but yet they insist that they have to be followed. It's the heart that God is concerned about, not the rules and regulations that you follow that you may think are making you more holy. It's the reason that you do what you do that really determine whether you've sinned or whether you haven't. It's your motivation. It's the reason you've done it. Okay? Because in verse 19 of Matthew 15, Jesus says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false weakness and blasphemies. The Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of many of these. They were guilty of being false witnesses, of lying. They were lying about what God required from people. They made up their own rules and added them to God's. The Gospel of Mark actually lists some extra ones, which I think are, are worth for us to look at. And if we look at Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 23, Mark lists some extra ones in there. And he says in Mark 7, 20, And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, 
proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile the man. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, pride, foolishness, deceit, and other things that are not simple things that you can just mask by following a rule, if you understand what I'm saying. I can wash my hands before I eat my food and say, look, I am ceremonially clean now, okay? Easy to do. But what do you do with pride? What rule do you follow for covetousness? What rule do you follow for foolishness, for deceit? No. Those things aren't fixed by any rules. They're not covered up by any rules that you might make to make it look to everyone else as if you're okay. These things are expressed in a person's life through their speech, their choices and their deeds. In other words, the fruit of their life is something that comes from their heart. God sees the heart even before they make the fruit. There are many things that people do with a wrong motive. They may even look good on the outside, but are instead done with sin or another motivation in the heart. We should continually be on guard against hypocrisy in our own lives because the heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. It, has, it generates false motives for us. And while we think we're doing something for the right reason and we're doing a good thing and we give ourselves a pat on the back, maybe we've done that thing because of pride. Maybe we've done that thing because we want to show off in front of other people. Maybe we've done that very thing because we fear man more than we fear God. We want to please other people. Maybe the thing just makes us feel good, but it's not what God requires of us. And I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes you may be doing something for a while and only realize later the reason you were doing it was the wrong one. Sometimes our real motives are hidden so deep they refuse to be revealed because it may force us to see how ugly our heart can actually be. So people go on for years suppressing their sin, covering up their sin and their wrong motives because facing themselves, facing their own heart may be more scary than living a lie. The Pharisees and the scribes were like this. They lived a lie. While they paraded themselves around as holy men, they were full of deceit and pride and hypocrisy. And Jesus laid their hypocrisy out for everyone to see, and they hated him for it. Ultimately, they hated him so much, they decided to kill him and get him out of the way because they couldn't bear, they couldn't handle the truth being shone on their lives and their sin being exposed. Now, that's called pride, and their pride would not allow Jesus to continue teaching what he did.
please understand something important. Sometimes, sometimes, the most religious people with the strictest rules who criticize others for not following the same rules and standards as they have doesn't come from holiness at all, but comes from a heart filled with pride and self-deceit. There are many people in this world who placate or ease or soothe their own burning consciences by doing supposed good works and holding very strict traditions. Their efforts are in many cases given to them by others. And they are following and worshipping other people rather than God. They do it for the gaze of other people rather than for God's praise. They look for the approval of men because they fear that God might not approve of them, so they'd rather get approval of men, which makes them feel good. So they, then they continue trapped for their entire lives, following a set of rules and regulations, living with customs and living with traditions that make other people happy, but not God. This the Bible calls idolatry. It's actually putting people in the place of God. It's worshipping other people and is not Christianity. Pride is a sin, even when it's cloaked with a Christian flag. But we should not only examine our own traditions and habits, and we all have them, by comparing them to the word of God, but we should ask that God reveal if there's any corner of our hearts that harbour such sin as pride and covetousness, and ask God to reveal to us, why, Lord, why do I do these things? Whether we are really being motivated by something else rather than our love for God. And to that end, and if we look at King David's life as, a, as an example of someone who really wanted a heart after God's, he wanted a heart like God's and he, and he chased after, and he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. King David did some terrible things. But his heart was this. And in verse one, Psalm 139, 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what his desire was. He wanted God to open up his eyes to who he was. And for the strength to actually make the decision to make the right choice. Now, as a pastor of this church, I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts for every area of your life. That would be foolish of me to do that. In fact, the Bible teaches us that if you have the Spirit of God, if you are born again, you already know what's right and wrong. The question is your motivation to follow it. What I am going to warn you about is your motivation. What compels you to do the things you do? Is it your sin? Is it your old nature? Or is it the Spirit of God? Is what you're doing being done in faith? Is it led by the Word of God? Does it match what the Bible actually says? 
because that's ultimately our God. Are you not sure about something you're doing at the moment? Then simply compare it to the Word of God. Ask God to reveal the truth to you. Is it something Jesus would be happy with you doing? Could you see Jesus doing it? Is it something that you can do with faith? Saying, this is something that glorifies God. Or is it something motivated by something else? For instance, fear. Do you fear man more than God? And so therefore, you'll do what pleases other men because you don't want to upset them. Are you afraid of failing in the world? Which means you love the world more than you love God's kingdom. Are you doing something because you fear the unknown? Or the fear of seeing what's really in your heart? Are you doing it because lust is driving you to do it? Are you doing it because of pride? If you have the Spirit of God, you will know what's right and what's wrong. And the Word of God has been given to us to help us discern what's right and what's wrong. Please use it. It is the only standard that we have given to us by God, prepared for us with perfection. It is the perfect mirror, the Bible says. It itself says it's sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. When we look at that word, the Bible says we're looking into his mirror and it reflects back to us what we're really like. The Pharisees didn't use it in that way. They used it in a wrong way. Let me close with a, with a thought here. What I find really interesting in this chapter is the story that comes straight after this teaching. So here we have the Pharisees and the scribes criticizing, you know, Jesus' disciples. Jesus uh, about, you know, eating, eating stuff without washing their hands and following the rules. Then we have uh, Jesus rebuking them and saying, no, it's not, not important. It's the heart that's important. It's not about what you eat uh, because it's important what's coming out of your heart and what's in your heart. And straight after this, we had this story about this Canaanite woman of Phoenician background. She wasn't a Jew, and she was not someone who would have been following the dietary laws of the Jews, that's for sure. She would have been seen as the exact opposite of what the Jews would have considered someone who was undefiled. As clean. She was the exact opposite in their minds of a person of faith, worthy of God's mercy. You see, a woman, a Canaanite, was not seen as someone who was holy. And Jesus now uses her as an example. What I find in this story is absolutely amazing because these people, the Canaanites, to the Jews, they were considered dogs, literally. That's how far below they were seen in terms of their standing before God, especially the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes would have seen a Canaanite woman of Phoenician background as someone utterly unclean, someone you don't even talk to, look at, be a part of, because that person was like a dog. And dogs, to them, are very, very dirty animals. 
And I want to share this story because it was not placed here without a reason. And I hope you see its significance. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 15, 21. Now have a listen. So we've just been taught by Jesus about the importance of what's in the heart, not what's going in the mouth. And this person would be seen as utterly, utterly unclean, not worthy of God's attention, nor theirs. Matthew 15, 21 says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered and answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs. which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. This Canaanite woman would have been guilty of breaking all the eating rules and traditions that the Jews were following. She was probably not even aware of them. She would have been a perfect example to his own disciples about someone who would have been considered defiled. But look at her heart. She comes to Jesus calling him Lord. She bows down and worships him. She persists in calling him and asking him for help. Even though his disciples wanted her gone. She cried out to Jesus because she believed that he could heal her daughter. She cried out because she was motivated by love for her daughter. And even when Jesus tested her by saying that it wasn't right to give the children's bread to dogs, many people would have been offended by that. She still kept coming. Pride wasn't a problem for her. She worshipped him and her words revealed her heart. Even the crumbs were enough for her. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Ask yourself this question as we close. Would you have had her faith 
in her position? Would you have had her faith and persistence when it was insinuated that you were less worthy? Or would you have been like the disciples who missed the lesson and wanted it gone because she was a nuisance to them? What will your words and your choices reveal about your heart today? Will you choose your own traditions over God's? Who's more important to you? Are men more important or is God more important? Please choose wisely because in the end, your eternal destiny depends on it. Choose Jesus today. I pray that in all things, God would reveal your heart to you. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus today, if you haven't received him into your heart, that he might begin changing you from the inside, I pray that today would be that day, that you would humble yourself like this, this Canaanite woman. And you would say, Lord, help me. I need to be saved. Save me from my sin. God bless you all. I pray you have a, a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you face to face very soon. God bless you all. Thank you.